I invite you to take your Bibles this evening and open them with me in the New Testament to the book of Titus and chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, and we will read the entire chapter together. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Again, let's give our attention to the holy and infallible word of God. But as for you, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Amen. So far, a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. The Lord has said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so as we have opened your word again this evening, we pray that you would feed us. That we might leave here full and satisfied by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as this evening is our teaching service, we will have a a catechism uh, reading and message. And I invite you, if you would like to follow along, to Lord's Day 32 in the back of your songbook on page 887. Page 887. I was asked to do a catechism Catechal sermon, and so I just chose one of the last ones I did in our church at Living Hope in Chatham. 
And we are here in the third part of the Catechism, right at the very beginning, Lord's Day 32. There are two questions and answers. First, question 86 asks, Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? And this is our answer. This is what we believe as a church. Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, and that he may be praised through us, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ. And then on the next page, question 87. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? The answer is this, by no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, will inherit the kingdom of God. That is our catechism. So the catechism, or the Heidelberg catechism overall, here in Lord's Day 32, as I mentioned, we're we're at the beginning of the third main part of the catechism. And as you might know, there are three parts to the catechism. The catechism is divided like a lot of psalms are divided. If you look at the different psalms and And also, the whole book of Romans is divided like this. First, there is all about our sin, and then our salvation, and then our thankfulness. That's also the common experience of the Christian. How how many are brought to Christ, and how, how many live in Christ. You come first to know that you're a sinner. You come to grow in your knowledge of sin. You come to salvation in Jesus Christ, and then you live your life for Christ, for God. Sin, salvation, and thankfulness. So we are looking here our catechism, through our catechism at the beginning of the thankful Christian life. Um, all right. Boys and girls, I have a question for you. If a baby is born and he or she is healthy, what are you going to hear in your home? Crying, right? Lots of crying. Right? Because noise, that's what, that's what babies do. They kick their little legs, punch their arms in the air, and they, and they make noise. All right, that's an easy question. Here's another question. What about a bird? If a, if a bird is a healthy bird... What will it do a few weeks after it is born? It's going to sing, but it will also fly, right? It will fly. That's a big part about being a bird. You can, you can fly, most birds anyway. There's a few birds that can't, poor birds. But you're not going to see a flock of animals in the sky and, and wonder, hmm, are those cats? Oh, no, maybe they're dogs. No, are they bears? No, of course, never. If there's a flock of animals in the sky, you know 
they're birds, right? Okay. Think of this. Flying is pretty amazing. We can't do it, on our own at least. None of you, boys and girls, flapped your arms to get to church today, did you? Right? That, that would be pretty amazing if you did, pretty spectacular even. And yet, as amazing and spectacular as flying is, birds fly all the time, and we hardly give them a second thought. Right? Why? Because that's all they do. Birds fly. We expect it. In fact, if you walked up to a bird in the grass and it didn't fly away, then you would think what? Something's wrong with that bird. Right? Because that's what birds do. Birds fly. Okay. So healthy babies cry. They make noise. Healthy birds fly. And we could keep going and, and, and add to this. Healthy ducks quack. Healthy fish swim, right? Healthy cows eat. Well, they move, but they eat and they eat and they eat. Healthy horses run. And do you know what else? Healthy Christians will say thank you to God. Healthy Christians will say thank you to God for saving them. But I don't just mean say thank you with words alone, but with your whole life. Healthy Christians will live a thankful life to God for saving them. Boys and girls, if Jesus Christ has saved you, if he is your Savior and he saved you from all your sins, then you will want to thank him to give him thanks. Now, what does a thankful Christian life look like? Well, we can describe it, and we do describe it in many different ways. It means doing good works in your church, in your family, in your community. Um, it, it means showing godliness. It's obeying God's commands. It's holiness and, and loving holiness, or it's piety. All of these things are used to describe how a Christian speaks and acts and lives if they are thankful to God for saving them. If healthy birds fly, healthy Christians will do good works. Okay, and that is the main point of our catechism teaching uh, this evening. Healthy Christians do good works. And the, and the catechism emphasizes that if we're born again in Christ, we have the spirit of Christ within us. And if the spirit of Christ is within us, then good works must come out of us also for the glory of Christ. But now what I want to do for the remainder of the message tonight is to look with you at Titus chapter 2. There are many Bible passages in, in scripture that speak about this, about, about the thankful Christian life. Uh, but one of my favorites is a little phrase that's found here that the Apostle Paul uses in chapter 2 and verse 10. And I think this is a phrase that if we're just reading, you know, perhaps after supper and you're reading a section, you can pass over it, you can read it pretty quick and pass over it without a second thought and you can miss the wonder of it. But Paul is speaking here at the end of verse 10. He's speaking 
in this verse in particular, to bondservants, to servants, to slaves. Uh, but the, th- this could have been said, what he says here, to any of the people whom he mentions before verse 9 and 10, to the older men and the older women, to the younger men and the younger women. He, he's talking to all of them and as Christians, and he's telling them how they ought to act. And he says, we are to do these good things that he mentions, so that we may, and here's the verse, the words, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I mean, that is a great description of the Christian life, the thankful Christian life. Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So let's go through that. What does it mean first to adorn something? Well, adorn means, this is the dictionary definition, to make more beautiful or more attractive. Right? So you could use it, for example, this word when you're decorating your house. And you have a room with empty walls, and you hang some pictures on the walls. You're adorning those walls. And what, what usually looks better in, in a house? One with no pictures or one with pictures? The one with pictures, right? That's why we do it. Um, or, or something, whatever you add, artwork. Or you can use this word when a restaurant serves you mashed potatoes, and they could serve you just a pile of plain simple white potatoes, or they could adorn those potatoes with some color, like some thyme, or my favorite, bacon bits, right? That's adorning the plate, if you will. Now, I know in in my own church when I said this that there were some guys thinking, well, that is what girls do. They adorn things. We don't have anything to do with adornment. Uh, Oh, men, we do. We do. If someone, I don't know if there are hunters here, but if someone gets a new scope for your hunting rifle, he's got to bring it out and show it to all the guys. Come look at this. And they're going to look through it and they're going to go, oh, wow, that looks amazing. That's adornment. You've made something look better than it was before. You've adorned your rifle. Or new tires on a truck. Right? Come and look at my new tires. Right? Or a new barbecue on your back deck. Every guy shows everyone their new barbecue. And I could keep going. New shop in the backyard. Right? That's all, that's all adornment. It's, it's adding to make something more. More attractive. More appealing. All right. Now, we are to adorn, there Paul says here, the Apostle Paul, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. How do we do that? How do we adorn, make it look better? How do we do that to doctrine? Well, we have to ask also, what is doctrine? Doctrine is a a bit of a Christianese word. It simply means teaching. So we are to adorn, the apostle says, the teaching of God our Savior. And what is the teaching of God our Savior? Well, in general, we could say it's the whole Bible, right? It's all of Scripture. Everything that God teaches us in his word. But the teaching, I think, that he mentions here in chapter 2 is perhaps more in mind, which is not only God as our Savior in particular, but as 
our substitutionary Savior, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. So in verse 13, he mentions this phrase again, uh, God and our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he adds this, who gave himself for us. That's the teaching, the doctrine, the teaching of substitutionary atonement. Right? As an old Dutch farmer once said, he die or me die. Right? And Christ died instead of us if we put our faith in, us, in him. Christ suffered for us, as we saw this morning, we talked about this morning, to set us free. He died in the place of sinners on the cross to satisfy the anger of God against our sin, to pay for that sin. Okay, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. That is the teaching, at least in focus here in chapter 2. How do we adorn that? Really, how do we make that more attractive? The cross of Christ. You might think, that's impossible. There's nothing I could do to make the cross of Christ more lovely. And I understand. That, I think, would be the first reaction of, of many Christians. Especially, I think, the older and the more mature we are in Christ. You might think of the cross of Christ and say, there's nothing I could possibly add. But there is. Because the cross, in itself, objectively, is not attractive. In fact, objectively, it is ugly. It is a place of suffering. It is a place of shame. It is a place of death. And what makes it even more ugly is that Christ was innocent when he died on the cross. He went in my place. I was the guilty party. I was full of sin, but yet he suffered. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I should have cried that. Objectively, the cross by itself is ugly. And so we can adorn it. We can make it more attractive. How do we do that is the question. We turn from sin and we live a life of holiness and thankfulness to God. That's how we adorn the cross of Christ. How does that adorn it? Well, when we do that, we show with our life that his death did something. That it meant something. That it wasn't just suffering and pain, but that it saved me. It saved me from death. And we're thankful. That he wasn't just forsaken by God for nothing, but that in his forsakenness, I who am dead in my sins and lost to Christ, have been found by God. And adopted into his family. It declares that he didn't die for nothing, but that in his death I have been given life. New life. And I show that new life, that, that valuable Christ's blood-bought life by giving thankfulness to God in the way I live my life. I do good works. I pursue godliness and piety and holiness. Right? That is how we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, Make sure you have the order right, though, or you'll get this all wrong. You don't do good works in order to be saved, right? 
we also don't do good works in order to make ourselves look good or look better before God or even before one another. Right? No, then, then we're not adorning the cross of Christ. No, then we are robbing from the cross of Christ. We are declaring we don't need it. If you say, if you say well, I can, I, I can, if I just try a little harder, I can make myself a little better and God will love me a little bit more, that's not adorning the cross of Christ. It's taking from his glory. It's robbing the adornment. No, we, we can be saved only through Jesus' good works, not through any of ours. Our works will always fall short. We will never be enough. We need him. But in him, we are completely accepted by God. Completely and fully. In, in such a way that we can never make ourselves any better before God by our works. Right, so on, on our worst days, when we fall into temptation and give into sin, God loves us if we're in Christ just as much on that, on that worst day as he does on our best day, when we're doing our best works. Right, in Christ, uh, we don't need to add anything to our salvation for God to love us. But once we are accepted, that is, once we've accepted free salvation, all of God's grace, without any merit of our own, then we live a life for God. Then we do good works because we are thankful to him. We don't add to our salvation. We can't add to our salvation. But we can adorn the cross. If Christians never did good works... What would other people think of the cross of Jesus Christ? Or think of, think of people in your life, maybe you know some or you work with some who are not Christians. Maybe your neighbors aren't Christian. But they know you're a Christian. Right? If you never did good works, if you lived an un-Christian life in front of them, what would they think about the cross of Jesus Christ? Or they, they would look, think about the cross, they would say, well, it makes no difference to that person. So it can't be worth much. Right? Christ died, but who cares? Right? Is, is what they will think. Dearly beloved, the cross of Christ is worth more than that. Let us show others around us the big difference that Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners like us make in, makes in our life. Let's adorn the cross for their sake, for the glory of Christ. What, is it, what does it look like then to, to live a thankful Christian life like this? Well, perhaps, perhaps I was once proud. But the cross, uh, substitutionary atonement that Christ did on the cross, him taking my place, him suffering where I should have suffered, has now humbled me. Right? Be humble because of the cross of Christ. Or maybe I once used to get angry really quickly, right? But now, when I see and I think of the patience and the gentleness God has shown towards me through Christ and the cross, I'm now patient. Be patient in your life. Put aside your anger. Maybe I used to covet a lot. I saw everything that everyone else had, and I just, I was never happy, never satisfied. But now, 
when I think of the cross of Christ and what Jesus Christ has earned for me, eternal life and, and adoption into the family as sons and daughters of God, my heart now is, is content. I have much more than I deserve, much more than I could possibly earn in my, in my life, much more than my neighbor has without Christ, even though they have a, a, a big house and, and a big vacation spot. Right? Be content in Christ. And we could go on. Maybe there's a lot more. Uh, maybe we like to gossip, talk about other people. But when I see what God has done for me on the cross and, and anything said about me would be accurate if it's about my sin because I am full of sin, but God did not gossip about me to everyone. He went to the cross and he paid for my sin. When I think of that, then I put away my gossiping and I speak well of others. Speak well of one another in Christ and through Christ. All of these and more adorn the cross of Christ and the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, I know in all of this, in, in wanting to do good works, I know we fall short. I know it sadly myself very well. I know sometimes it's hard. Sin can be strong in us still. But if you realize, if you think about this, that you are adorning Jesus' cross... Doesn't it change it? But doesn't it encourage you to keep going? Doesn't it make you want to work harder at it? You might adorn the cross of Christ this week for someone. Could there be a better thing for you to do this week than that? Is there a reason to rejoice more? Than, than that in your life. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter, pursue holiness, keep on keeping on, in other words, for the, for the joy of serving Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians, do not grow weary in doing good. So why do we do good works, the Catechism asks. Well, all that Christ has done for you and me Beloved, do you not want to adorn the doctrine of God as our Savior? I hope you do. And I pray this week you might have joy in doing it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for gathering us and teaching us. Thank you again for this wonderful verse. Thank you for the fact that we may even speak the words, God, our Savior. And then read the words after that, that he gave himself for us. What a wonderful joy. If any of us are discouraged tonight, or have had a, some hard weeks or months even, we pray that you might encourage us tonight with those words. And that we might be eager and ready to go and serve you, serve one another, live a holy and godly life so that we might too adorn, make the cross more attractive to those around us. Help us, we pray. Forgive us where we fall short. We do confess our sin. But in Jesus, we are saved. And in Jesus, we are fully accepted by you and loved. 
And that is our hope. So in his name we pray. Amen.